Well, congratulations again, Gabriel. So happy to see you getting baptized today. Uh, I don't know if you know about this. I was baptized the same time as your husband David did. Well, not at the same time. He was after me, actually. But Yeah, so I'm very excited seeing you getting baptized. Where's David? Somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, this is the last advent of the year. Time really flies. I can't imagine. This is already the last advent. And Christmas is coming in a few days. And um, today I want to share with you the guest list of the first Christmas. But before that, I want to share with you, uh, once a pastor told me, I, I haven't seen it, but he told me that he has received a Christmas card, uh, and, and it's a very special Christmas card. On the front of the Christmas card, it displays a few very famous and extremely powerful world leaders in history, including Alexander the Great of Greeks, Julius Caesar of the Roman Empire, the Pharaoh of Egypt, Napoleon of France, Hitler of Germany, and Mao Zedong of China. And, a few, and I think there are a few more, but it's okay. You get the essence of it. And then, beneath all the pictures of these leaders, it says, history is crowded with men who would be gods. And then when this Christmas card is turned to inside, you see a little baby in a manger, and it says, but only one God who would be man. In the beginning... The Word was already there. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. And because God loves the world so much that the Word became flesh in the form of a fragile infant. And then He made His dwelling among us. And this is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. But when this love of God was shown among us, when the Son of God became flesh and dwelt among us, not everyone would respond to this love in the same way. Whether it is now, or 2,000 and some years ago, when the incarnate Son of God was born, not every human being really knows how to appreciate such love. Today we are going to take a look at how different people responded when the first Christmas became a reality. And then from these different responses, we can reflect on ourselves to see which characters that we might carry some similarities of their traits. But before that, let us pay attention on the Word of God, which today is quoted from the Gospels of Luke and John. And I'm going to call upon Josanna with your renewed voice. Hallelujah. To read to us the Word of God. With your renewed voice, you still need a mic. Yeah. 
Good morning. So for today's scripture reading, we are looking at the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of John. So from the Gospel of Luke, we are looking at chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Uh, It will be on the PowerPoint behind me. Please follow along and please read along. In those days, Caesar Augustus heard a decree, issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. The second passage is from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Thank you, Josiana. Let us all pray together. Spirit of the living God, you have inspired these words into the mind of Luke and John and so that they can accurately record all these words from you. And today, may you help us to enter into the reality of these words like never before. We pray in the name of the Son, Jesus. Amen. I wonder if you have noticed, in the Bible, one of the saddest and most heartbreaking verses comes from the Gospel of John right here. Chapter 1, verse 10 and 11. He, Jesus, God, was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Did not recognize should be more literally translated into reject. The world rejected him. He came to that which was his own, his home. But his own did not receive him. Brothers and sisters, this is divine sadness. Many times that we think too lovely and too wonderful of Christmas. Baby in a manger. Singing of the angels. Worships by the shepherds and the wise men. And together with now the present time, the Christmas atmosphere from our surroundings, and the almost omnipresent Christmas songs since the beginning of December, all these can skew our sentiment towards Christmas. 
that we somehow, we miss, we omit the fact that behind all these joys and wonders, God actually has carried on his own shoulders the sufferings and the sadness of Christmas. To try to put this into words, Christmas, what Christmas really means, Christmas means that our omnipotent, absolutely sovereign, Alpha and Omega God, he had to become so dependent and helpless a baby that he has to be fed, to be clothed, and even his diapers had to be changed by someone else. Christmas actually means that our Creator God, who at the beginning decided that two hydrogen plus one oxygen will make H2O water, and that he had to become so exhausted and thirsty that he had to ask a woman at the well to give him water to drink. Christmas also means that this holy, eternally living God had to become the lamb of sacrifice to take up all our sins and go through death himself. All these, which should never have happened on him, have happened, so that what should have happened on us will not happen. Away in a manger, no crib for a bed, little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head. That's how God showed his love among us. But even though God has shown his love in such a striking way, so what? He was in the world, And though the world was made through him, the world rejected him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. So today, in the fourth and final Advent Sunday of this year, how are we going to to receive this Lord of Christmas, our Savior Jesus? Christmas is a loving invitation to all mankind. Christmas invites us to enter into the salvation of God. But towards this invitation, different people have different responses as recorded in all four Gospels. Someone just put a blind eye. Someone was very hostile to a point that became so determined to destroy the Christmas baby. But however, there are also people who are willing to pay an unimaginable price to take up incomprehensible risk in order to dedicate everything they had for God's salvation plan for mankind. Now, let us first take a look at some of those people who reject the invitation of the first Christmas. In Luke chapter 2, the passage you just read, the first person being mentioned is Roman Caesar Augustus. In the time when Jesus was born, Augustus was absolutely the most powerful human being on the planet. But how sad it is that he missed Christmas. The king missed the king of all kings. Even though Christmas happened in his land, he nevertheless missed it because he was so obsessed to be powerful that his eyes were so fixated on his own success. After about 30 years later, Jesus 
in his adult life, he said a parable about a very rich man, and this rich man was so abundantly rich that he had problem storing his harvest. And Jesus said, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? I wonder, when Jesus was saying this parable, was he thinking of the regrettable example of Augustus? Who considered his own desire more important than anything else? More important than the Lord of Christmas? After Augustus, the next guest I want to talk about is Herod, the client king of Judea in the time of Jesus' birth. When Herod found out that from the wise men that a king has been born, a king of the Jews has been born. And when he looked around and did not see any infant of his own, his first reaction was to eliminate the threat against his kingship. So later on, he even went so far to massacre all the boys in Bethlehem who were two years old and under. And in fact, Herod was an insanely insecure, mad psychopath. In order to extend his kingship for just a few years, he would murder one of his wives and three of his sons. So there was a saying in those days, that it's better to be Herod's dog than his son. Christmas, after all, is supposed to be a great news. But to Herod, Christmas has somehow become a threat. Because Christmas demands him and us to admit that we do not sit on the throne of our lives. That we would let the incarnate newborn king to be the king of our lives. Do we also carry the shadow of Herod in our lives? That in order to hold so tight on our own control, that we somehow miss the good news of Christmas? According to Matthew, after Herod met with these wise men, he immediately went to to consult the high priests and the scribes to try to figure out where exactly this Messiah is born. The high priests and the scribes, they, they knew the Old Testament. So they immediately they quote from Micah that it, is, it happened in Bethlehem. The high priests and the scribes knew it. So, among everyone on earth, these religious leaders are the ones who are least supposed to have missed the birth of the Messiah. But when Jesus was born, none of these religious leaders were there to witness Maybe they were still very busy in the synagogue debating when exactly will the Messiah come. Or they are so occupied in the service in the temple. But how ironic it is that these religious leaders have missed the Lord they served as they were too occupied in their own serving. Are there anyone of us like the priests and the scribes here? that we are so busy in serving and we miss the Lord that we serve? Well, we might consider, we might discover, actually, that all these people who have missed the first Christmas were the ones who were supposed to be there. They missed Christmas because their eyes 
Their minds are so fixated on their own lives and their own desire. But on the other hand, there were those who were present in the first Christmas. And surprisingly, the first group of them was definitely an unexpected group. The scripture says, the angels first appeared to a group of shepherds and made known to them the good news of Christ being born. In church nowadays, I think the traditions have beautified the image of shepherds. After all, God from the Old Testament to the New Testament has described himself as a shepherd. So the image of shepherd should not be so bad at all then. So in many Christmas nativity dramas, shepherds are among the most popular characters that children love to play. Anybody has played shepherd before? The rope? I'm sure you have, you're just too shy. But in fact, children in the first century Middle East would definitely least want to be the shepherd. Or at least no parents would allow them to be the shepherd. It's because in the ancient Middle East, shepherds are the lowest of the lowest in the social spectrum. Shepherds are among the, uh, those who are most despised of. Pious Jews will avoid to have any contact with shepherds because shepherds are considered to be unclean and thus unholy. Because of the nature of the work, shepherds very often cannot keep Sabbath. Also, they often stay outdoor with the sheep, thus regularly in contact with manure, corpse of animals, or even disease. So shepherds are the people who are almost impossible to keep themselves clean. And in Jewish society, shepherds are forbidden to be witnessed in the court of law. They are considered not trustworthy illegitimate. But, when the much-anticipated Messiah finally arrived, the very first group of people invited to be his witness was not the priests, not the scribes, not Herod, not even Augustus, but a group of shepherds who in their society cannot even be legitimate witness on court, who are considered the lowest of the lows. But what's touching to me in the first Christmas is not just that Christ chose this group of lowly shepherds to be his witness. It's not just that. What's touching to me was that the incarnate God in Jesus, he would later even call himself our shepherd. Jesus later would say, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep as a shepherd. The Lord of Christmas did not only lay down his life for us, he laid down his life for us after he became the lowest of the lows. Jesus likening himself as a shepherd means that his birth is for total, complete sacrifice. Giving one's life is definitely a great cause. But there are people who would rather die than become the lowest of the lows. They would rather give up their lives than their social status or their reputation. 
The fact that Jesus became a man and worse, a shepherd, reminds us that Christmas means that this highest God, for his love of mankind, chose to become the lowest and he dies as a lowest. He gave up not only his life, but all of him without any reservation. And that's Christmas. So, so after all, after, after, after all these, the shepherd, this group of shepherds, followed the instructions of the angel. And they were able to find baby Jesus in the manger. And then, they spread the word concerning what has been told to them about this child. This verse, in the context of the first century Middle East, is just ridiculous. It's absurd. These shepherds were the least qualified people to give witness on anything. They have all the good and valid reasons not to go spread the word. Because the society does not see them as trustworthy or legitimate. Truly, I really don't understand the reason why God chose these shepherds to be his first witness. But I do understand its implications. These shepherds were considered people to be avoided by the general public. If, if God still chose them, and they, surprisingly, agree and commit themselves to take on this mission, then who else can say that they cannot go spread the message of Christmas? Who among you and me can have any excuse not to be witness of Jesus? These shepherds are telling us that being a witness is not a matter whether you can or cannot, but whether you will or will not. So other than the shepherds, the wise men, the wise men were also among the first group of people present in the first Christmas. Tradition, even the song we just sang, says that there were three wise men only because they presented three kinds of gifts. But in fact, the number of wise men was undisclosed in the Bible. Well, if the shepherds are the lowest of the lows, these wise men are definitely in the other end of the social spectrum. They have money. Lots of money. Truly, how many people can afford to give the case of gold as a baby shower gift? I mean, those are good friends to have if you're having a baby. But also, we should not consider that these wise men were simply astronomy enthusiasts. And they traveled such a long journey only to prove their astronomic competence and to take a side trip to Holy Land en route. These wise men from the East were surely an unexpected group of guests of the first Christmas. Matthew recorded that when these wise men came to Jerusalem, they went to see King Herod and they asked King Herod, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. I mean, this is probably one of those, one of the most politically incorrect things to do, to ask the king, where is the newborn Jew, kings of Jews? But I mean, these three people are really prestigious people. How many people can go directly to the king when they need travel instructions? 
But these prestigious people are willing to humble themselves to pay worship to a baby who was born in a poor suburb town of Bethlehem. The word worship here applies to reference to a higher being. When Satan tempted Jesus, he asked Jesus to bow down and worship him. That's the same word as here. And Jesus replied, Satan, confronted Satan, worship the Lord your God. And he used, Jesus used the same word for worship as well as here. But the most stunning fact is not only that these wise men were willing to humble themselves, not just this, but is that as Gentiles, these wise men went to a foreign country and worshipped a foreign god? You know, this act can be interpreted by their own people, their own countrymen as treason. In those days, religions and politics are closely connected. Religious allegiance represents political allegiance. That's why when two countries enter treaty with each other, they pledge on the, the name of the gods. That's why later on, Caesar would build temples for himself to represent political allegiance. These wise men were not like the shepherds who have no wealth, no reputation, no status. Shepherds have nothing to lose. But these prestigious wise men have everything to lose. So why? Why were they willing to give up so much for baby? Why did they not wait a couple decades and see if this Jesus is a real deal? If he is really the one, and then they would pledge their allegiance. That sounds a much safer bet to me. No one, know why. no one knows why. I don't know why. But what we see from these wise men is that being a disciple of the Lord of Christmas, we have to bear our own cross. But in the first Christmas, it's not only the wise men who need to bear their cross. An even more unexpected guest was found in Joseph, Mary's husband, Jesus' adopted father. I think if Joseph refused to be present in the first Christmas, we would find it very difficult to blame him. After all, how could Joseph accept the news of Christmas? Christmas means that his wife his betrothed wife, Mary, became pregnant during the betrothal period when they did not yet live together, as I explained two weeks ago about betrothal. Joseph knew it so well that the baby was not his. When Christmas first began, it came to Joseph as a nightmare, as a horrific nightmare. His betrothed wife, Mary, was pregnant and the baby was not his. The only explanation Jesus, I mean, Joseph could have imagined is that Mary was unfaithful to him and to their covenant. Then, Matthew recorded how Joseph reacted to all these. He said, because Joseph, Mary's husband, was faithful to the law, a.k.a. a just man, and yet did not want to expose Mary to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel, appeared, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. 
we have to thank Matthew because he did not only record Joseph's action, but also his feeling. The translation of the word consider was a bit misleading. Imagine that on, hear, on hearing that his betrothed wife was pregnant and was unfaithful to him, as he imagined, is he expected to sit quietly and consider this matter? The word is better translated as became angry or upset. Joseph was angry. He was upset. But in his anger and sense of betrayal, Joseph was able to rise above his anger to demonstrate a justice that transcends the law. The Bible describes Joseph as a just man, and according to the definition at that time, a just man means that a man following the Mosaic law completely. He follows all stipulations as given in the Mosaic law. But if Joseph is to continue to qualify the term just, according to this definition, he would have to deal with Mary by following the stipulation on Deuteronomy chapter 22, which it says, if a man happens to meet in, the, in a town a virgin pledged to be married, that's, that's Mary at that time, and he sleeps with her, and was to have a baby, you shall take both of them to the gates of the town and stone them to death. If you don't know who the man is, you take the woman to the gates and stone her to death. According to the law, not only that Joseph can stone Mary to death, he should stone her to death. And according to the culture, only by following the law can Joseph restore his own reputation as a just man from the shame brought to him by Mary's pregnancy. Joseph had no choice. He had to do it. But Joseph did not follow the law, nor the culture. He did not want to expose Mary to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly, bringing two witnesses with him and get the divorce done. So we must ask, before the angel made known to Joseph about God's miraculous work in Mary's womb, what definition of justice did the Bible use to call Joseph a just man? After all, he did not follow the law to deal with Mary. I believe that God intended to use Joseph as a model of true justice. According to Isaiah 42, God describes justice as this. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he brings forth justice. That's justice. A seemingly useless broken reed that he keeps. A smoldering wick that he still cherishes. Yes. Justice is about distinguishing right from wrong. There's no doubt about it. But once right and wrong are discerned, the goal of justice is never about destroying the person who did wrong, but always to restore and to heal. In his dealing with Mary, Joseph the carpenter acted out this prophetic definition of justice which strikes 
a perfect balance between grace and truth. Brothers and sisters, justice cannot exist alone without the presence of of grace or vice versa. Jesus, in his adult life, has said a lot of parables. Among them, two specifically teach us about the balance between grace and justice. The master of the great banquet and the master of the vineyard both opted to turn their anger into grace and are willing to bear humiliation. I wonder if Jesus, as he was teaching these parables, he was thinking about his adopted father Joseph, who is a model of remarkable spiritual stature. The angel later explained to Joseph what really happened. And at the end, the angel instructed Joseph, you are to give him, the baby, the name Jesus. We have to understand what it means by giving a name. The angel was in essence telling Joseph to adopt this baby, raise him, protect him as his own son. Joseph surrendered with great cost and risk. The whole village, village are very closely connected at that time, very small. The whole village would know that Mary got pregnant during the betrothal period. So either it's Mary being unfaithful or it's Joseph had committed sexual relationship with Mary before the wedding. Either one would totally ruin Joseph's reputation. In order to be faithful to the Lord of Christmas, Joseph chose to bear the shame and humiliation from his fellow villagers and allow the rest of his life to become harsh and extremely difficult. Joseph, though only had a quiet cameo appearance, had sacrificed, he spoke volume, he sacrificed his life to make Christmas possible for all of us. But if Christmas means paying a cost to follow Jesus, Jesus, then Joseph is definitely not the only one who had to pay such costs. His wife, Mary, when encountering the first Christmas, had to endure an even higher risk than Joseph. In fact, it's almost impossible for us to understand what went through Mary's mind and heart when she encountered the message of the first Christmas. After all, very few of us, if any, have been in a situation where our decision will affect the entire mankind, past, present, and future. Also, Mary, in the first Christmas, has long been misunderstood, mostly by artists, to be a grown-up lady. This image is very likely mistaken because she was probably at age 13 to 14, grade 8, an age when a typical Jewish girl gets betrothed to a man in the first century. When the angel appeared to Mary, who just became a teenager, telling her that she was going to get pregnant as a virgin, and to be the mother of the coming Messiah, we have to imagine, even though Mary did not mind to mother the Messiah, even she did not mind that, she would never, 
ever wanted to get pregnant during her betrothal period. That's the worst time to get pregnant. Her marriage with Joseph would likely or definitely be called off. She would never be able to get married again. Her life is forever ruined. Shame will be all over her and her family. And worse, as we read through Deuteronomy, she will likely be stoned to death in the gates of the village. Given the situation, it's very stunning, it's very amazing to see what Mary, in response to the first Christmas message from the angel, what Mary did not do. We have to see the, the, the gospel recorded what she has done. But we have to look at what, he, what she did not do. First, she did not bargain. She did not set out conditions for her acceptance. She did not ask the angel, okay, you first convince Joseph and come back and then I will consider it. She did not say that. Nor she did ask the angel's protection to ensure her security of her life and living. She did not even ask for any words of assurance. And second, she did not delay in her decision-making. The angel did not make an appointment with her prior to his appearing. Nor did the angel foretell Mary, send her an email or something, about this divine intention in a situation being called into such an incredible decision, Mary did not require extra time to consider and to or to consult her parents. She did not procrastinate as many of us would. Finally, Mary did not refuse. One of the most stunning lines any human being has ever said was from Mary's mouth. Facing such a life-threatening calling from God, I am the Lord's servant. Mary answered, May your word to, be, to me be fulfilled. Then, the scripture continues, the angel left her. See, this profound experience of God's presence in her life ends and we never know if she had another experience like, like this one ever again. What's the point of this? That she lives the rest of her life in faith. In Luke chapter 2, verse 34-35, to it says that Mary and Joseph took baby Jesus to Jerusalem for, for dedication. There they met a man named Simeon. The Holy Spirit was on this man, Simeon, and he prophesied to Mary. He said, This child, Jesus, baby Jesus, is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Then he turned and he said, And a sword will pierce your own soul. Whose soul will be pierced? It's Mary's. Mary's life was full of thorns. And she even had to witness the brutal death of her own son on the cross. But, beginning when she was only about 13 years old, she has 
pledge her life, the rest of her life to God, that for as long as she shall, shall live, she said, may your word to me be fulfilled. Brothers and sisters, today we ought to be grateful that we have Christmas to celebrate. Not only that Christmas is the great mercy of our loving God, but it's also made possible to us because many God-fearing individuals made enormous sacrifices for it. The message of Christmas must be carried forward generations after generations. So today, you and I, how you and I would choose to be what kind of guests in Christmas? Guests like Augustus, Herod, or the high priest? Or the guests like the shepherds, the wise men, Joseph, or even Mary? Let us all pray together. Dear God of Christmas, the Father of our coming Messiah, we give thanks to you in this Advent season that in your own word we witness some individuals like Mary and Joseph who pledged their lives for your kingdom cause above all else. In this Christmas, may your word redeem us from the distractions of our demanding world, from the desire to please ourselves and from the tendency to procrastinate to let your word from being fulfilled in us. Father God, in your mercy and grace, may the way we embrace Christmas be pleasing to you as we pray in the name of your baby in the manger, our Savior God, Jesus Christ. Amen.